This is Prevent Defense, the podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is the Prevent Defense podcast brought to you by Radio.com Sports and Baldy. It is the playoffs. There are coaching changes. Nobody else in the world I'd rather talk to about all this going on than you, my man. So I'm excited to hear what you think of all the different moves, all the different games. But let's start off with the coaching changes before we get into these four matchups, three of which I think are really good. And I know you love the Bills, so you'll be excited for that one too. Let's start in New York. The Giants, they fire Pat Shermer. They keep Dave Gettleman. I have a pretty strong opinion about that decision to keep Gettleman, but what do you think about the changes in the shakeup in New York? Well, I think it was inevitable that they were going to make a coaching change. And, you know, Pat Shermer understands you win nine games in two years. You're last in the league in turnover ratio. I mean, that contributes to your losses. Uh, now you're playing a rookie quarterback. You you kind of have to play the hand that you're dealt. So it's not always on the coach or the coaching staff. Some of it is on executive decisions. But I felt like the Giants needed to make a change. They they just haven't gotten the right guy in there since, uh, since Tom Coughlin uh, was let go. And so they have to – they got to figure out a guy to really build with right now. And whether it's with Gettleman or not, I mean, they're going to tell you that Gettleman's resume says that he's been a part of eight Super Bowl teams, which is true. And so if you think that, you know, over uh, a seventh of all the playoff Super Bowls that have been played, he's been a part of, I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive. He hadn't been always in charge, largely in charge, but, um, I guess they're going to allow him to kind of finish the job that he started with the draft last year, and we'll see. But I always, I just feel like sometimes it's just better to start fresh with a general manager and a coach that really see things eye to eye. They have familiarity with one another from some place. That doesn't always happen, but I think they had to make a change at the top, and now it's a question of trying to get the situation right. So with Pat Shermer, I I like Pat. I worked with him here in Philadelphia when he uh, was with the Eagles as the offensive coordinator. Very nice guy. And I do think he has a very good football mind. And I think he's good for young quarterbacks. But my time also covering Eagles with Doug Peterson has kind of taught me that although you have to have a good football mind to be a head coach, there's just a lot more to the job than that. And I think that Pat just doesn't have head coach qualities. Like at the podium, as a leader of men, I don't really see him as a guy that can inspire people the way Doug does. So moving on from Pat, I'm fine with that. Keeping Gettleman, on one hand, I I 100% agree with you. You want to have a GM and a head coach that are eye-to-eye. And I can't believe I'm going to defend Gettleman here because I've ripped him quite a bit. But And you turned me on to Daniel Jones early earlier on this year on the podcast, but after seeing Daniel Jones play, and he wasn't particularly great against the Eagles this past week, but five touchdowns a week before, and he's played at a high level, I think you almost have to give Gettleman credit for taking Daniel Daniel Jones at six, despite the fact that was not the popular pick, right? I mean, everyone says either should have traded back or taken Dwayne Haskins. Like He was basically mocked when he, when he made the Daniel Jones pick, but he did it anyway because he believed in it. He took Saquon at number two, which I don't know if that was it, – well, it wasn't great value in terms of taking a running back at two. But since then, you've seen around the league some of the best teams in the league start to build their offenses more and more around running backs. So 
when you look at Gettleman, I think he's made two decisions that at the time were mocked, but ultimately I think ended up being good, a good decision with Daniel Jones and looking more and more like a great decision with Saquon. Now, obviously Saquon's a great player, but just, I mean, in terms of using the number two overall pick on a running back, my only biggest hesitation is, are people going to want to work with Gettleman? Even if he's done better than maybe he's given credit for publicly, like your public perception matters. And I think around the league, I wonder if a guy like Matt Rule, and I want to talk to you about him in a little bit, but I do wonder if Gettleman being at the job is going to make it harder for the Giants to attract an elite-level head coach. Well, it's a great job. It's the New York Giants, and they do a lot of things the right way, Uh, you know, from the very top down. Now, you know, one thing that did break this week that is interesting to me is that, you know, Bob Tisch is going to be a much bigger part of this operation. And I don't know what role he played outside of being at games and kind of being way behind the scenes. It wasn't like any of the members of the Maras. And so, you know, I, I, you know, just like the Mara brothers, I mean, I I think there's a split in how to do this. Uh, So which, which may, which may come in, I mean, two different families are running this operation. Um, You're going to get two different sets of opinions. I mean, that might be a detractor, but it's, it's the New York giants it's a foundational team here in the NFL. Um, they've been around since 1925. There's great history, and there's great. There's been some great winning there, and you know that you're going to get all the resources possible. the the, the way that they treat media, the way that they invite alumni. I mean, they they do a lot of things the right way. You can question whether keeping Dave Gettleman is the right choice or the wrong choice. That, I mean, it's all that what stuff. What do you think of the job he's done? Well, I mean, I, I I wouldn't draft Dexter Lawrence in the first round. Yep. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I I just think that. And then I wouldn't go and and get you know big big cat Williams on a third round pick from the Jets. I mean, I, I, he builds his teams from the inside out. He likes to have four big booted defensive tackles, but it's not really the way the game is played right now, and so. I mean, I, I don't know that I would be spending my resources on defense tackles. It's great if you have a Fletcher Cox or Aaron Donald, and you can have one of those guys. I just think that when you spend all these resources on defensive tackles, that you're missing out on guys that change the game. And that's where you got to put your resources. Cornerbacks, defensive ends that can pass rush and get to the quarterback. And, you know, receivers that can change the game. And left tackles that can protect your quarterback. I mean, that's what you spend number one draft picks on. Yeah, I, look, I, I agree with you. I just think the fact that he did, it looks like he might have made the right pick a quarterback, just carries so much weight for me as a general manager. And Daniel Jones still has a lot to improve on, don't get me wrong. His turnovers are a problem, but it looks like he might have gotten that pick right. And if he does, that changes a lot of the public perception, in my opinion, about Gettleman. But I I was looking back at the last time uh, the Eagles made a head coach hire, but there was a, a lot of jobs available, right? It was 2016, and you look at some of the jobs that offseason. Philadelphia Eagles, one of the best franchises in the league. Tennessee Titans, great place to live, great franchise. Miami Dolphins, great place to live. Tampa Bay. Uh, Cleveland, obviously always a dumpster fire. The Giants, once again, and then San Francisco, one of the better franchises as well. So it's interesting with all those jobs that were available three years ago, then you look at the jobs that now were available. Washington, Cleveland, New York. Um, the Jaguars are keeping Doug, Mar- Doug Marone. Am I missing any? 
Well, um, Dallas is probably going to make a change. And yes, Dallas. Yeah, Dallas. So not as much of an attract, not as many attractive jobs out there. Dallas clearly an attractive job, even with Jerry Jones. But if you were, uh, let's, you know, I mean, honestly, you probably should be a head coaching candidate. But so let's say Baldy is going to be a head coaching candidate. Which do you think is the most attractive job right now? Assuming Dallas is indeed open. Well, Dallas is an attractive job. I mean, you have a lot of talent on that team. It's not you're rebuilding. I mean, they they got to you know function better and they got to execute better. But they have a lot of talent on that team. It's not like you know you're taking over uh, a team that is starting from you know like the Miami Dolphins. You know, last year it's not like you're trying to rebuild a team from scratch. Um, you know, almost like the Oakland Raiders were for John Gruden two years ago. I, I don't believe that the Cowboys are anything like that. Now you got some contracts that you might argue with. But I, I believe Jerry Jones is a good owner. And, you know, people can say he meddles and do I, I want an owner that wants to know what's going on. I have no problem with Jerry Jones. Um, you know, because he's gone out, he's, he's proven that if you need a wide receiver, I'll go go you go get your Armari uh, you know, Amari Cooper. Um, he'll pay your running back, he'll do a lot of things. He'll take a chance on Jalen Smith. I mean, he's he's willing to do just about anything to win. So I, I mean I I played in Dallas. I know what that franchise is all about. Um, there is just great uh, cachet. It's the number one franchise in the NFL, uh, whether people will like to hear that or not. It drives all ratings. It drives all the television. They're always in the news, uh, good or bad. It, it's a great franchise to, to coach and to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of, forget the NFL, it's one of the top franchises in all of sports. I mean, them, the Yankees, you can certainly debate, uh, you know, some soccer, some talk, soccer teams overseas and all that stuff. But I agree, Dallas is definitely the best job if, if available. A job that is not seeming like it's going to be very popular, and Matt Rule reportedly already turned down an opportunity to, to interview there, is the Cleveland Browns. And right before we were uh, getting ready to record this pod, more news comes out. John Dorsey no longer with the team. The Cleveland Browns are going with a new power structure, and John Dorsey did not want to be a part of that, so he's no longer there. They're going to be looking for a new GM, and they're also looking for a new head coach. First, what did you think of the decision to fire Freddie Kitchens after only one year? Well, I thought it was the right move. I, I thought the job was way bigger than what Freddie, you know, Freddie Kitchens had at his, you know, at his disposal and the resources that he has, and. I, I thought it was – I thought there was a place for Freddie Kitchens in the organization because I do think the year before he made a, a lot of really good decisions offensively. And I thought there would be some merit to keeping him um, when it came time to keeping the offense together. But the head coach and the position and everything that goes with it I thought was too big for Freddie Kitchens, and he proved it to be. They – they were maybe the most undisciplined team in the league. And that always starts with the head coach. It, yes, the players were undisciplined, but it always starts with the coach and the ability to police your own team. I mean, it started in preseason when they were scrimmaging and they were fighting, you know, every single play and, you know, every day in, 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 uh, interest in, in scrimmages against other teams. It showed up in week one. They lost to Tennessee at home. Uh, with 18 uh, penalties that day, and their left tackle got kicked out of the game. I mean, what Miles Garrett did this year, it was too big for Freddie Kitchens. But it is, to 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 see John Dorsey step aside and move on, 
it just goes to show you at the top that this is a a franchise right now that is really misguided all the way through. And they've done nothing since Jimmy Haslam has taken over but make changes. And they can't find any stability. And who knows what they do here. They've gone in so many different directions here, Elliot. You know, from the Harvard graduates and the and all the analytic people and guys that they keep on the staff, it looks like a franchise right now that is just uh, completely off the rails. Yeah, look, you could point to any number of things to prove that the Cleveland Browns from the ownership, and you're right, it starts at the top, have no idea what they're doing, and you feel bad for the great Cleveland Brown fans out there. I think today, though, uh, I'm recording this on a Tuesday, one of the things that just really shows what a mess this place is is that so they get rid of John Dorsey and throughout the all day on Twitter, you're reading different reports from, you know, Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, just basically saying like they might keep him, they might not. Now they're meeting with him and they're deciding what to do. And it's like you're watching in real time a, a franchise just completely have no idea what they're doing. And it reminded me of when the Eagles fired Chip Kelly. That came out of nowhere right before week 17. When they moved on from Howie Roseman, that came out of nowhere. When they brought him back, that was a surprise. Like at a certain point, these franchises, like you can tell by how much leaks out of that building, how well that organization is being run. Watching in real time, Cleveland kind of, you know, watch it, being able to watch what they're going to do, I thought really showed what a mess they are. But that being said, there's only 32 head, head coaching jobs in the world in the NFL. So they will hire somebody. How attractive is that job? Like, does that does the uh, the issues with ownership outweigh the fact that you do have a Baker Mayfield, Odell, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb? I mean, a lot of talent on that roster. Yeah, Miles Garrett. I mean, they they have yep. big time talent. Now they, you know, I mean, a lot of that is been the acquisitions that John Dorsey made. I felt like even as south as the whole year went this year that the fact that John Dorsey was still there with the proven track record and how to build a team, that you, you felt like there was hope. Regardless of the history and the recent history and the ownership, you felt like with John Dorsey in the building, like you had you, you could put a plan together. You could attract the right guy. But I don't know that anybody right now, because we've seen so many other guys just, you know, you saw Chubb, you saw all these guys go through there. Freddie Kitchens, they're all one and done. You know, I mean, I, if they wanted to really keep that thing together, I mean, Greg Williams seemed like it was perfect for the job. And how he put that defense together, I think he could work with Freddie Kitchens. But I don't know that Greg Williams even wanted that job last year. Yeah. Um, and reports are that he didn't want the job. So I, I think right now that it's anybody's guess as to how they do this. But they have to – You've got to get a guy that's going to be the architect first. You've got to get your general manager in the building, I believe, first. You can't do this backwards. Who's the guy that's going to be in charge of free agency, the draft, trades? Like, who is that guy going to be? And there's there's only so many good ones out there, Elliot. There, there's not 32 of them. We know that. So that's where it's got to start. And who's how are they going to track that guy right now? And how do they even identify him right now? Well, there was, there was a report that they liked. Uh, Andrew Barry, who currently works for the Eagles, was with the Browns before. And that would obviously be an attractive choice for a number of reasons. One, he's been in Cleveland and is aware of the problems there. But two, has now spent a year in the Eagles franchise, which for you know as 
weird as their season has been, they're still nine and seven without question. One of the best run franchises in the league and one of the most uh, smart and forward thinking front offices. So you get his experience of being there and his, his knowledge of Cleveland, you know, that could be a good fit. The other thing I would say is this, and, and you're right that they have to start with the general manager, but last off season, they hired Freddie kitchens. Cause that's who Baker wanted, right? That's who Baker Mayfield wanted as, as uh, his head coach. And I like the idea of making the hire of the head coach with your quarterback in mind. I think that's that's a crucial key, especially when you already have the quarterback. But I think where they made the mistake was they let Baker pick the coach. What they need to do is this offseason, pick a coach that's going to help Baker, but it doesn't matter if Baker wants him or not. I think Baker needs more of a veteran type of guy to come in there. I mean, Freddie might be a good X's and O's guy, but I don't think he was able to really control Baker, coach him hard, that type of thing, and especially with all the personalities they ended up having there. They need like a old, grizzled, veteran-type guy that has proven track record with quarterbacks to go in there and really help Baker because, let's be honest, after his rookie year, the, the arrow was very much pointing up. He had a disaster of a second year, and the franchise, no matter who they hire at GM, who they hire at quarterback, if Baker's not the answer, they're years away from competing. Well, you know – you have to really look at that team. I mean, the offseason was a disaster, too. I mean, the guys that they went out and got. Now, I've talked to Odell Beckham, and I've talked to Juice Landry. I mean, literally, they may be getting surgery. I mean, right now, Odell Beckham could be in South Philadelphia getting hernia surgery right now. I mean, they had to get it done as soon as the, the season was over, and both of them have told me that they need to get it done. They should have gotten it done back in August when these issues with Landry's hip and with Odell Beckham's lower abdomen. I mean, these issues were there in August. They played through them. None of them were full speed all year. But provided they get these surgeries done, they they need whoever's in charge. I, I just remember this, Elliot. I remember when uh, Troy Aikman came to Dallas in 89, and they were putting that together with Jimmy Johnson. And you go out to Valley Ranch in 1990, in 1991, in April or May or June, it was a battle out there with uh, Michael Irvin and Troy Aikman and going at it with the defense. They were building that thing from scratch with really good young talent. And they became, you know, the they became the envy of every franchise in the league in a very short period of time. And that's what they have to do in Cleveland with Baker and Juice and Jar and, and Odell and and Njoku. I mean, and Chubb. They need an entire offseason together working united. It can't be about guys having fun and going around the, the world and having a good time. They they need to commit to Cleveland. And the only way that you're going to get those guys to commit to Cleveland and to work with Baker is if you get a guy that everybody knows as soon as they meet him can take us to the promised land. Only mm-hmm. then will they actually make those type of commitments. Anybody else that they bring in and they don't believe in, You'll know if they do or not by how they we uh, work their offseason programs right now. And I wonder who that guy could be. I mean, look, you, you hear about Lincoln Riley. I don't know if he'll have interest in going to Cleveland. Matt Rule's already turned that down. But I want to pick your brain on Matt Rule because he's the top coaching candidate, I believe, right now in Carolina and New York. He can probably have those jobs if he wants them. Um, I know Matt from my time in Philadelphia. He was here at Temple, proud Temple alumni. Um, so I, I'm familiar with him. Know he's a great guy. You also have known him for a long time since your time at Temple. For the teams, for the fans of the teams listening that might hire Matt Rule, what is it about Matt 
that makes him the top coaching candidate right now? Well, there's there's an old formula, Elliot, in anything, whether it's coaching or running a business or being a father or, you know, being an analyst or whatever. I mean, if you combine high IQ with passion and unbridled enthusiasm, you're going to be successful. That's about rule every day. So that's who he is. His father was a preacher, ran a, you know homeless shelters in New York City. I mean, they are all about helping people. And Matt is, you know, if he was teaching social studies in high school, he'd be your favorite teacher. If you were a freshman coming into Temple that was a walk-on, you'd want to play for Matt Rule. If you were a, you know, a star left tackle like Deion Dawkins became, you'd want to play for Matt Rule. So guys want to guy people gravitate towards Matt um, for all those reasons. But then in addition to that, he understands football. I mean, he was at Penn State with Paterno. He was at New York with Coughlin. He understands how to instill toughness, physical toughness, but more importantly, mental toughness in your team. So that no amount of obstacles or injuries or any of these things that become excuses ever become excuses. The toughness is built into the team. And there's a lot of ways to measure it. You know, your kickoff coverage team, your field goal rush team. And there's there's all kinds. There's, there's going to be hitting. There's going to be contact. You're going to be a two-back offense. You're going to get a yard when you need a yard. There's just – I was there at Baylor when they were 1-12 his rookie year. They couldn't beat Liberty Baptist University in a football game. I mean, they got beat by everybody. And here they are battling Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship two years later. I mean, he did the same thing at Temple. Um, this is – it really wouldn't matter what sport or what level he's at. He's going to put a winning product on the field, and you're going to compete for championships. And there's just going to be a certain type of player that is going to want to play for that man. And they're going to, there's enough talented guys, but he's going to get the best out of your 53-man roster. So he was talking today prior to uh, prior to their bowl game and saying, you know, his, his plan is to stay at Baylor. And I do believe him. I mean, one of the things that's happening with these head coaches in college making so much money is there's no real incentive to go to the NFL outside of the fact that, you know, basically a pride thing of saying I'm going to win in the NFL. But college programs, especially ones like Baylor that he's now turned that into – I mean, he's going to make legit money there. He's going to have all the same amenities, the same you know amount of people in the, the stadium, that type of thing. So we'll see if he does go. But what he did mention was that he really is taking his family into account. And based off what you, what you just said and what I know of him, that's not surprising. So I do wonder, they're already in Texas, Baylor's 100, 100 miles from AT&T Stadium, if he's holding out for that Cowboys job. The premier job, you can win right now. Wouldn't have to uproot the family that much. I mean, maybe a little, but you know, you're not talking about moving from Texas back to North Jersey. So we'll see if he holds out for that job. Last coaching thing I wanted to get your pick your brain on before we get into these playoff matchups. Washington Redskins, they've made their decision. They've hired Ron Rivera. I think it's a slam dunk hire for them, simply because that place is so dysfunctional and they have a true adult in the room now. He'll be able to go in there. He'll turn them into a respectable franchise. I do think the ceiling is kind of low with Ron unless they get a really good offensive coordinator. But I like the hire for them simply because of who he is and what he'll be able to do for that franchise. Well, I just did the Carolina Panthers final game 
uh, at home against the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. So I was around the team in the franchise, and literally the day they, the the day the new owner uh, fired Ron Rivera. I mean, everybody they haven't recovered since. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they were shocked. They, you know, were they? They played great for him. No, they didn't. They they couldn't stop the run. They were there was some dysfunction, but they had players that just didn't really love football, and it shows. But I'm curious because you know Ron uh, Ron Rivera hired uh, Norv Turner. I mean Norv Turner hired Ron Rivera in San Diego way back when, and he's loyal and and Norv's a great great coordinator. But Norv can't go to Washington, you know, not with his history there with Daniel Snyder. Yep. So he's going to have to kind of get somebody else. And I don't think it's Norv Turner's son, Scott Turner, that's been running the offense right now. I, I don't think – so he's going to have to find somebody else to run the offense and develop Dwayne Haskins. So there might be somebody else on that roster that he had in Carolina. Um, there's a couple things about that job. I'm interested – now that Bruce Allen is fired, um, or re- I don't know what his position – if, it, no, if he's that's fired. Right I mean, one. he's out of, the fr- out of the franchise, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he is. He, like, I mean, people thought he would stay, but right. it, it looks like it's a firing. But I don't know if that's the – I don't know if that's the correct term, to be honest with you, Elliot. Uh, okay. There's different ways to end somebody's contract. But anyways, uh, it, it'd be interesting to see if Trent Williams will come back now, you know, or if his disdain for the franchise is more deep-rooted than Bruce Allen and 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 anything else there in that organization, if Ron Rivera could sit down. Because if you go and get Trent, Trent Williams back and you could build the offensive line, they've got pieces – yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know if Darius guys can ever stay healthy, but there's, there's, they, they've been adding pieces defensively, which would be good for Ron, um, all across the defense. There's pieces in place. You can argue Dwayne Haskins, although he played through to all rookies and he was a rookie and, you know, they had a changing offense line. Like, I think there's pieces there that you can say, okay, there's, this isn't a dumpster fire for talent. I mean, could you get to eight wins or a winning record next year with great coaching? Yeah, I think you could. And one name I would keep an eye on now, the, the Jaguars are keeping Doug Marone. So maybe Filippo won't end up being a free agent. But if he is, I think he would be a great fit there. He, I saw him firsthand develop Wentz. Now that he's gone, you hear about Wentz maybe needing kind of the coaching Filippo gave him. So you'd be able to bring him there. He could call the plays because Ron Rivera is the head coach. And that is... One advantage they'll have in hiring a new offensive coordinator is that they'll go in and be able to call the plays. And that's essentially a head coach of an offense in a lot of ways. And that's a great chance to springboard to a real head coaching job when you're the one calling the play. So definitely an an attractive job as offensive coordinator. Honestly, maybe a more attractive job than the Browns head coach job when you consider the fact that Ron Rivera is now there. But Baldy, there's probably never been a time, we've been doing this pod for 17, 18 weeks now, Never been a more appropriate time for what I'm about to talk to you about. And as we know, and as teams are finding out, hiring is challenging. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, it's fast, and it's smart. And growing businesses connected to qualified candidates. Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a new game artist to grow with her education tech company. And Gretchen could probably talk to the Browns right now, give them a little advice, because what she did was she switched to ZipRecruiter and she saw an immediate difference. And now you can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. 
And by using ZipRecruiter screening, screening questions to filter candidates, Gretchen found it easier to focus on the best ones. Then she found the right one. In fact, after posting her job on ZipRecruiter, Gretchen said she was honestly surprised she found qualified candidates so quickly and hired a new game artist in less than two weeks. And with results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. You can see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes, and you can try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire in Baldy. Now that we've moved on from all the off-the-field drama, we can talk about real on-the-field X's and O's playoff football, which starts this Saturday. I figured we'll just talk about them right in order, from the first one on Saturday, the last one on Sunday. So let's start with probably the least premier, I would say, of the matchups this weekend, the Buffalo Bills at the Houston Texans. The Texans seem destined to just always play the first game on Saturday. But uh, what are your initial impressions of that matchup? Well, I mean, I, I, I think Buffalo matches up really well with Houston. I, I think that the way that they – I mean, I'm sure Tredavious White just looks forward to the matchup of DeAndre Hopkins and just shadowing him all over the field, and that should be a worth the price of admission right there. Um, I think that Houston's got a very underrated rushing attack and as you know, watching the Eagles go up to Buffalo and win this year, if you can run the ball against Buffalo's defense, it goes a long ways to beating that team. Mm-hmm. And I think they have some some pieces there. But I, I, I like the way that the Buffalo Bills are coached. Um, I love what Sean McDermott has done. And I'm anxious to see Josh Allen in a big spot, a playoff spot um, like this. And it's really – and it's on the road and – you know, I saw Indianapolis go in there last year and win in the same spot. First playoff game out there, and they jumped all over the Texans. And I don't – I'm not in love with the Texans' defense by any stretch. And so I think they have enough pieces to move the ball and to keep this game really, really close. And then I think that, you know, because the Bills are just so united and young and play the game with so much excitement and enthusiasm, I think – I think they're going to go down there and win this game. I, I I think that they have a way to be able to slow the Texans down and stop you know that passing attack from really taking off. They just do so many things in the secondary with the way they disguise coverages, the way they blitz the quarterback. Um, they've given a lot of good quarterbacks fits this year, namely Tom Brady. Uh, I think that continues, and I, I like the I like the Bills to go in there and get themselves an upset right here. So I agree with everything you just said. After seeing the Bills in Buffalo, even though the Eagles won that game, I came away impressed with them. My only concern is the Texans have the better quarterback right now. And not only do they have the better quarterback, they have a quarterback that's maybe you know one of five or six in the league that's capable of just taking a game over, is special in the biggest moments. His college coach called him Superman, and he's proven to be that at the NFL level. I just don't know if Josh Allen can outplay Deshaun Watson. Now, maybe he won't have to because the Bills' defense is that good, but that would be my biggest concern. And I'll ask you on a larger scale, too. How big of a game do you think this is for Deshaun Watson? I mean, you know, limited playoff success, obviously. He's proven to be a special player, but for him, how big is this playoff matchup? Well, it's big, especially getting bounced out last year. Yep. You know, and they went out and got themselves a left tackle. They gave paid a premium price for Laramie Tunsil. He's in the Pro Bowl. He looks like he's been worth the, the price that they paid for him. Uh, 
Uh, they've, they've, you know, they, they got Kenny Stills. I mean, they added a lot of pieces uh, to this offense. Carlos Hyde's had a renaissance this year. I ran for over a thousand yards. Um, they addressed the offensive line in the draft. I mean, they've done everything you can do to build around a quarterback. They did it the right way. Now he has to deliver. And so it's huge for Deshaun Watson. I mean, it's, he's still very young in his career. We've seen many quarterbacks, including Peyton Manning, go through this early with playoff struggles. Um, and so I think this is in, in the game is at home. They were down 21, nothing in the second quarter last year to the Colts and basically out of the game. Uh, right, and the crowd was out of it, and so this is this is a big spot for Deshaun Watson. And I know I, I'm, I'm sort of talking out of both sides here, picking the Bills, but you know I, I expect Deshaun Watson to to play well, but I expect the Bills to play well too. I, they they basically had a week off. Both teams basically had a week off last week. I mean, the schedule makers made a huge mistake in playing Kansas City, um, you know, at one o'clock last week, and. Once yeah. they won the game, you know, the Texans knew they didn't have anything to play for. And so that's how they played the game. Yeah, and what's funny is even though it's the first game of the weekend, which traditionally is a pretty clear sign, the league views it as the, the least attractive of the four, it's probably the hardest to pick. I mean, I could really see either team winning. Um, I'm going to go with you and pick the Bills, but I think, you know, this this game is, is a complete toss-up in my mind. The, the second game on Sunday, a game that, no one thought we would see in a game that we have not seen the Patriots playing in, in, in a while. Titans at Patriots. Patriots suffer. I mean, I'd have to go back, but pr- probably the worst loss of the Bill Belichick-Brady era when you consider, I mean, the Super Bowl loss, obviously, to the Giants is, is one type of loss, but this is a game you just never see them lose, like ever. You never see them blow a game against an inferior team at home in the regular season. Am I crazy to think the Titans have a chance to win this game just because their offense has been clicking at such a high level? No, not at all. And really, I mean, you know, to see Stephon Gilmore get beat badly the week before against John Brown and Buffalo, but to see what Devontae Parker did to him. I mean, Devontae Parker got the best of Stephon Gilmore last week. And Ryan Fitzpatrick did to that Patriot defense that looked almost invincible for much of the season. But for much of the season, you have to really, and we'll get to this in the Eagles-Seattle game, but you have to really pay close attention to who you're playing every week because there's five or six teams in this league that just weren't competitive this year. And if you've got one of those teams on your schedule, then you probably put up great numbers and your final numbers look a whole lot better. Yep. And, you know, the Patriots beaten up on a lot of teams during the year. They put up unbelievable numbers. They kept teams out of the end zone, but – to watch Ryan Fitzpatrick carve up the Patriots last week, that was shocking. It wasn't so much that the Patriots offense just struggled because they struggle every week. And I don't think that there's any there, – there's Gronkowski's not coming through that door to rescue them on Saturday night. And I think they'll just continue to struggle. I think Tennessee isn't great defensively. They've, they've lost a lot of defensive backs. Um, so I think that will hinder them a little bit right now. But I think that – Tennessee, they have the leading rusher in Derrick Henry. He's a problem. Ryan Tannehill is uh, the number one rated passer in this league. And in his 10 starts, they're 7-3, and and they average over 30 points a game. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's real what they've done. And so I think Tennessee could go in there. And in that spot, I I don't think they're going to be a lot different than what we see them up there. They struggle to beat everybody. And last week, 
was no different. It was a playoff game. Bill Belichick said after they beat the Bills, it was a playoff game. They played it like a playoff game, and they weren't very good. And they're going to see a better team coming to Fox uh, Foxborough this weekend. So quick side note before we move on. I would just like to say I think Devontae Parker is one of the most underrated players in the league. And I don't know if he's the best receiver. I mean, he's probably not the best receiver. DeAndre Hopkins is really good. Julio Jones, those type of guys. But Devontae Parker is really good. Like the, the fact that this guy was on the trade block for two years, no team jumped on him, and he's remained in Miami. I mean, I saw him up close and personal in Miami. We saw what he did last week to maybe the best cornerback in the league. Devontae Parker is really good. But let's just – just to be clear, are you picking the Titans or are you picking the Patriots? No, I'm picking the Titans in a game. Wow, so you're picking the Titans to go into New England and beat the Patriots. Well, I think, you know, Mike Vrabel, I think it's – I don't know that that's an advantage, the fact that he knows that culture. He knows how the Patriots are going to prepare. He knows that at some point they're going to use some level of sorcery, um, chicanery. I mean, that's how they're scoring touchdowns right now. I mean, yep. you saw with Edelman throwing a touchdown pass to Philip Dorsett in Philadelphia – I mean, they need that in order to score touchdowns. You saw it last week with the with the touchdown throw to Landon Roberts to tie it up in the third quarter. Um, you know, a linebacker playing fullback, and they had to play in for him. There, there's going to be somewhere in you know their uh, their vault of plays that Brady and Josh McDaniels have been accumulating over the last twenty years. They're going to pull those out at the right time to probably get one or two plays and. That's probably how they'll finish drives in this game. I'm going to pick the Patriots, but what I will say is this, is that at a certain point, this Patriots dynasty is going to come to an end. And when it does, it's going to be in a game like this, where they lose in the first round after suffering a bad loss the week before. Like Dynasties very rarely end on a positive note. And if the Patriots do get bounced out this Saturday, you have to wonder, like, is Brady back next year? Is there a split? And if there is a split, does Belichick potentially leave? I mean, really quick before we move on, just out of curiosity, do you think there's any way that Belichick is not in New England next year or Brady, or do you think we're going to see them again? Well, I don't know what options they have, Elliot. You know, to be honest well, with Well, Belichick could go coach the Giants. I'm just, I mean, I'm just saying. He could have any job he wants, but he did coach there before with Parcells. Uh, he has great respect for the organization. I mean, I, I'm just throwing that out there, but – he could leave if he wanted. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know enough about his relationship with him and Bob Crafts. I'm sure it's not fantastic. I mean, Bob Crafts a businessman, and Bill Belichick is a football coach, and sometimes they clash. Yeah, I, I know they've clashed, but I I can't see Bob Crafts letting Bill Belichick walk and go to to the New York Giants right now. I, I can't see anything like that happening. And I, I don't know – I know Jared Stidham is there. He's a rookie, um, you know, that they drafted this year. But, you know, to say that he's ready to take over for Tom Brady, um, I don't I don't think those things are going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I kind of doubt it too. But, like I said, when these things come to an end, they end ugly. So, maybe the Titans will pull it off. Look, if you say you think that it could happen, I certainly believe you on that. All right. So, now we'll move on from the AFC. Next matchup on the Sunday on Sunday are the NFC matchups. This one, in my opinion, is probably the easiest to pick of the weekend, Vikings versus Saints. And I don't even mean that as a slight at the Vikings, but when you have Kirk Cousins going into New Orleans in the playoffs against a Saint team that, if not, is is one of the best in the NFC, obviously, but I think might potentially be the best. I don't think anybody's going into New England and beating the Saints if they're able to get another home playoff game for some reason. But I think the Saints win this game and they win it comfortably. Uh, I don't see Kirk Cousins going in there and winning. What about you? 
Well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a team game and I know the, you know, the pressure's on Kirk Cousins. Certainly you're not wrong in saying any of that, Elliot, but I just saw the saints last week go into Charlotte and just take the team apart. Yep. The only drive, it looked like a Friday afternoon walk through 14, the f- level of focus of that team. And really it start. I mean, they've had, they've always had it for, you know, the third year in a row, but when, Drew Brees went out with that fractured thumb this year, and Teddy Bridgewater came in for five games and played as well as he did. But the team around him was outstanding. And if you look at, okay, what what could lose the Saints this game? How, how could they lose it? Well, they got the Pro Bowl kicker in Will Lutz. they got a Pro Bowl returner in Deontay Harris. Uh, all they do is just keep accumulating talent on defense, picking up Janoris Jenkins, never know when they're going to need him. Um, Alvin Kamara looks like he's just getting healthier. Uh, and he was really, uh, on one leg for the better part of three or four weeks. I, I mean, I, the, the offensive line for the first time in a long time was completely at full health last week with, uh, the pro bowl left tackle, Teron Armstead at left tackle and Andrews Pete at guard. Um, they, they, they have the total focus and everything it takes to make this game uncompetitive. Uh, you know, from every every part of that you could want in a team, defensive line, pass rush, linebacker. Play, I mean, they have it all. Um, I, I expect the Saints to win this game handily on Sunday afternoon. Yep, I agree. I think they'll blow them out. Um, and we'll see what happens with the Vikings moving forward. There was a report from Charles Robinson of Yahoo that potentially Mike Zimmer is not back next year if they lose. I, I would be surprised by that. I wouldn't hate the decision, honestly, but – uh, I would be surprised if that happened. Um, best game of the weekend, in my opinion, not just because I'll be at it, but I think it's the best game. Seattle versus Philadelphia in Philadelphia. The Seahawks coming off of a game last weekend that you must have just loved to watch, San Francisco and Seattle, and especially the way that ended. Um, I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I won't give you my pick just yet. What are your initial impressions of this matchup? Well, like I said earlier, like I know the Eagles look like an incredibly confident team, and they should be. But they have, in all four of these wins, they have struggled at some level during the game. It's not like they have just walked out there on the field and been the dominant team against three teams that are all making coaching changes, presumably if Dallas changes and moves on yep. from Jason Garrett. I mean, I can't remember ever a team finishing a season with four games and three teams that are all making coaching changes for a reason. They're very, very incomplete teams. Now, the Eagles have done it with a quarterback that has gotten more confident each and every week to the point now where he's willing to throw the ball across the field to guys named Josh Perkins for a touchdown, even when he's double covered. I mean, that's that confidence is real. So, and the play of these young players, I can't remember – Maybe Jason Avant, but the Eagles haven't had a slot receiver like Greg Ward and in a long, long time. Maybe maybe Jason was. Um, but Greg Ward's better after the catch than Jason Avant was. Um, he's just – and then if you look at what Boston Scott is and look at all these guys getting an opportunity to play, they're just hungry. They play the game the right way. They don't make mistakes. They don't drop the ball. They don't cause penalties. Um, I do think that losing Brandon Brooks is big, although Matt Pryor played fine. Uh, He's been coached by one of the elite offensive line coaches for two years now. But they're going to have to ride Matt Pryor, I believe. 
at right guard. Maybe if Lane Johnson is ready, they'll put Big V in there at right guard uh, and play their best five guys. Jason Peters and Isaac Samola has been have been great. The screen game is back, Elliot. It's always been a big part of Doug Peterson's game. There's another, and defensively, they they can make you one dimensional, and they will make Seattle one dimensional. The X factor is what the 49ers just found out is that you can be up 13 to nothing on the Seattle Seahawks and in total control of the game. And Russell Wilson's not going away. Yep. And that guy is just, there's just no words and no adjectives that describe the level of competitive fire that he plays with every time he walks onto a football field. It's never a bad game. It's, it's never a game where you go, man, he ain't got it today. He's like that every week. And they do have pieces in rookie DK Metcalf and Tyler Metcalf that can hurt the Eagles, especially when Russell Wilson does his Houdini act and extends these plays, unlike anybody else in this business. So those are my initial thoughts about the game. I don't like Seattle's defense. I don't think they're great. They have no pass rush. I don't think that's going to be a problem. But they are well led by Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. They do a lot of good things. They are well coached, but they're not a great defense. So here's why I think the Eagles are going to win the game. I went back and I watched their first matchup. I believe it was week 12. And the Eagles are just a completely different team than they were back then. I mean, I watched that game, and we talked about it afterwards. Carson Wentz played maybe the worst game of his career, if not the worst game of his career, certainly up there. Four turnovers, two were fumbles, two interceptions. The Eagles as a team turned it over five times. The offense was absolutely atrocious. Now the defense got lucky with a few. Russell Wilson missed a touchdown he should have had. There was a drop. But Jim Schwartz talked today about how a lot of these plays that were defining his drops were actually tough catches. And the Eagles only lost that game by eight points, 17 to nine. Now, maybe that wasn't a final indication of how close the game was, but at the end of the day, the Eagles turned it over five times, Wentz had the worst game of his career, and only lost by eight points. Now, I agree with you that the Eagles' competition they've played over the last month has been really bad, as you, they're all looking for new head coaches. But one thing the Eagles have now is, is confidence. And Doug knows, Doug Peterson, knows how to win these big, big games. He's 4-1 and one in the playoffs. Uh, a great record in must-win games from the month of December on. And he's been an underdog, and I believe in every single playoff game he's ever coached, and he's won four of them. Now, Pete Carroll is a great head coach. Obviously, he's won a Super Bowl. They're competitive every year. But you do sometimes see in late games, late in big games, he makes poor coaching decisions. I mean, last week we saw it with the delay of game from the one-yard line. If they just get that playoff in time, if they're a disciplined team there, they're not playing this weekend. They're they're off. The Eagles are playing to San Francisco. So as good as Pete Carroll is, I give Doug the advantage over Pete Carroll in this matchup. And the Eagles' defense is only allowing 16 points per game at home, way better than they've been on the road. So when I look at the fact that Doug's 4-1, and one, they're tough to beat at home, and Carson is playing the best he ever has, and they were competitive with them a month ago, or I guess six weeks ago, I really think, they, I think they're going to win. Um, and I, I think I, I feel very confident in that I actually think they could end up winning something like 31, 24, 31, 21 or something like that. Well, I'm, I'm picking the Eagles to win the game. I mean, I mm-hmm. just think that right now, um, I think that confidence is real. Uh, 
I, I do. Like I said, I mean, the, the, the pass rush is almost non-existent from yep. Seattle. They, they've had to blitz in order to get there. Um, they lost Michael Kendricks, which was a big part of their defense. Uh, I'm sure he was looking forward to going up against his old team and a lot of guys that he knows in Philadelphia. Uh, I don't know that they have a suitable replacement for him. They did like to play a lot of three linebackers. Um, but I like the way Doug is calling the game right now. I like the formations. I like a lot of the things that he's doing. And these young players, it just you could just tell that Carson likes them. You could tell that he trusts Greg Ward, whether he's running an option route or he's reading man versus zone. They're seeing it the same way. The guy has been the chain mover for this offense for a month now. I mean, they need a first down. It's third and six. They're going to Greg Ward, and he's winning. And that's a big difference. And we'll see how many of these other guys they get back. But Dallas Goddard is a stud. Um, I don't know what Miles Sanders' status is right now, but I think they'll cobble it all together. He should play. He should play. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a heck of a football player. Um, I, I, I mean, I like the Eagles' front is just nasty right now. Tim Jernigan is all the way back. He looks like the guy that was here two years ago before the injury set in. I mean, he's a dominant defensive tackle with Fletcher. Uh, we saw the way Barnett played last week. Brandon Graham loves to play the game. They've got in way they they've got a they've got a, a scheme now where you can put Malcolm Jenkins where he belongs up at the line of scrimmage and just making every tackle that's almost possible at the line of scrimmage. Um, I'm anxious to see. Just there's really no way you can properly defend Russell Wilson and what he sees and how he escapes and and all of that. So I'm anxious to see what Jim Schwartz does scheme wise because I being you know spying him doesn't really work. It's kind of a waste of a man. But I am anxious to see how they attack Russell Wilson. But I like the Eagles in this game. I mean, Saturday night's going to be tough. The weather's going to be fine. Uh, it should be two great young quarterbacks going at it. Um, I still consider Russell Wilson to be young, even though he's eight mm-hmm. years in the league right now. Um, but I like the way the Eagles are playing, and I'm going to pick them in this game. Yeah, I'm going to pick them too. I mean, one hesitation is the fact that, and this is not a slate on Carson, but, you know, first year quarter, I mean, first time quarterbacks in the playoffs don't have a great record recently. Um, so that is a concern. And obviously, Russell Wilson, as you said, you can be down 13 nothing in complete control and he takes it over. But I, I do really like the Eagles in this one. I, I feel very confident about it. Uh, and if they win, that means we'll be talking Eagles 49ers next week. We'll be talking Saints uh, Packers. We'll be talking about them next week on the Prevent Defense Podcast. It'll be 2020, end of a decade, Baldy. I'm excited to end it with you talking football. And uh, thanks to everybody out there that's been listening all season. And I'm pumped to keep talking to you guys throughout playoff time. So, Baldy, I will talk to you next week, talk to you next decade, and we'll be talking playoff football. Well, Happy New Year to you, Elliot, and Happy New Year to everybody out there that that looks forward to listening to the Prevent Defense podcast each and every week. And I'll be I'll be talking to you from London next week, Elliot. But oh, it'll, yeah, it'll right. sound just the same, but I'll be over there doing all the analysis for Sky TV over there. I'm looking forward to getting across the pond and getting uh, 2020 kicked off the right way. All right, International Baldy next week. So maybe we'll get some reviews from uh, how's that, how that's going over there. I was just over there last week, so we'll, uh, we'll compare notes. And uh, Baldy, I'll talk to you next week. And thanks, everybody, for listening. 